Straight Up Enigmas is now on Patreon. As a patron, you can get early access to regular episodes, bonus content, shoutouts on social media, and personalized messages from me, Jaden. Join Patreon for as little as $1 per month to help support our show. Thank you so much for your willingness to help our podcast grow. You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. In The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, the number 42 is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Calculated by an enormous supercomputer named Deep Thought over a period of seven and a half million years. While the comedy series was meant to be a science fiction spoof, mathematics has played a striking role in our understanding of the universe. The idea that everything is, in some sense, mathematical goes back to at least the Pythagoreans of ancient Greece and has stretched over centuries of discussion among physicists and philosophers. In the 17th century, Galileo famously stated that our universe is a grand book written in the language of mathematics. According to Nikola Tesla, if you only knew the magnificence of the three, six, and nine, then you would have the key to the universe. Do certain numbers really hold the answer to all of life's secrets? Let's explore for a moment the golden ratio. The golden ratio is the irrational number known as phi. Like pi, it doesn't end. Instead of saying 1.61803398887 every time, mathematicians refer to it as phi. What's interesting about phi? Take a golden rectangle. It's golden because the ratio between its sides matches phi. If you cut a square out of a golden rectangle, you create a smaller rectangle with the same golden proportions. Because this long, irrational number made sense visually but couldn't be explained as a fraction, some ancient philosophers assumed it must have a higher meaning. They called it the golden ratio and later the divine proportion. Which brings us to something called the Fibonacci sequence. This pattern starts with zero, then each following number is the sum of the two before it. As the sequence goes higher, the ratio between the numbers gets closer and closer to 1.618 or phi. Many believe this sequence could explain growth in nature. If you connect each corner of the squares with its arc, you get a golden spiral. Many people see these golden spirals everywhere. A pine cone, a nautilus shell, spiral galaxies, even the Mona Lisa. According to Dr. Gareth Roberts, associate professor at the College of the Holy Cross, it's the way that the golden ratio appears in nature that makes it so interesting. For example, if you head outside on a warm summer day and start counting the petals on a sunflower, most of the time you'll find a Fibonacci sequence. If you were going to grow and plant lots of seeds on a flower, you wouldn't want to just equally spread them out, says Dr. Roberts. As you got further away from the center, there'd be too much space. Nature doesn't want that. 
Nature wants the flower to procreate so there's even more seeds. The more seeds, the better. The optimal angle of where they're arranging themselves is related to the golden ratio. In a case of art imitating nature, Roberts asserts that many musicians also gravitate toward the golden ratio. The climax of a song is rarely directly in the middle, but a little off-center. As humans, we're wired to find patterns, so are all of these numbers we see in nature and music simply a coincidence? Can we safely say that we're creating patterns where there are none? Or, as mystics and philosophers have long believed, are mathematics, geometry, and sound actually the key to the universe? Stay with me as we take a closer look at the mystery of sacred and sonic geometry. I'm Jaden McKell, and you're listening to Straight Up Enigmas. Before we begin our exploration of sacred and sonic geometry, let's define these two terms a little more. Since ancient times, sages and spiritual teachers have applied meaning to shapes. In these shapes were believed to be the secret to life, a unifying presence or force that could explain the nature of every facet and aspect of the universe. These shapes are known as sacred geometry. In its simplest definition, sacred geometry is the meaning and symbolism that is attributed to certain shapes and proportions. Those who ascribe to the teachings of sacred geometry claim the world is a combination of five sacred shapes known as the platonic solids. The platonic solids are the tetrahedron, hexahedron, octahedron, dodecahedron, and icosahedron. The platonic solids are named after the ancient Greek philosopher Plato, who said each of these shapes corresponds with one of the elements. Earth, fire, air, water, and ether. Platonic solids are congruent, have equal sides and angles, and have the same number of faces that meet at the vertices. Virtually everything in the world can be traced to these shapes in one form or another flowers and trees, human DNA, and cell structure. Sacred spaces such as mosques and temples are also created using these patterns. The tetrahedron, for instance, is thought to be a three-dimensional symbol of balance and stability as each side is flat no matter how it is turned. It represents the element of fire and creates a natural balance between the physical and spiritual. An example of a tetrahedron is a pyramid in Egypt as well as crystals that have a trigonal structure. Another universal sacred shape is the sphere. Perhaps one of the simplest and most perfect of all forms, the sphere is an expression of unity, completeness, integrity, and equality. It is the most profound and sacred symbol in the universe to some, and contains all the wisdom of creation. 
Supposedly, it is from the sphere that the other shapes are organized. Cells and seeds are examples of spheres. Sonic geometry, then, is the belief that certain harmonics contain keys and codes capable of unlocking the very processes of creation, and that one particular math system reveals the very root of existence. Now that we've defined sacred and sonic geometry, let's begin exploring some of the ways we measure and organize both time and distance. First, consider the way we count time. For practical purposes, the smallest unit of time is one second. It takes 60 seconds to make a minute and then 60 minutes to make one hour. Hours are the unit we use to divide our days and these days become months, years, decades, centuries, and so on. Speaking of 60, all geometry, whether it's two or three dimensional, is derived from 60 degree mathematics that provide the foundation for a 360 degree circle which then provides us with all the angles and formulas for creating essentially every shape known to mankind. For example, the tetrahedron and sphere we discussed earlier. Looking back through recorded history, it's clear to see that humans have long been attracted to the number 12. There are 12 eggs in a dozen, 12 months in a year, 12 inches in a foot, 12 signs of the zodiac, 12 apostles, and 12 gods in both Greek and Roman mythology. Second, let's reflect on the way we measure distance. When we talk about measuring our planet, the standard we all use reverts back to base 60 units of geometrical degrees. The primary unit in which longitude and latitude are given is degrees. There are 360 degrees of longitude and 180 degrees of latitude. Each degree can be broken into 60 minutes, and each minute can, of course, be divided into 60 seconds. Why do so many 12s and 60s appear in our modern-day measurements? For the answer, we may need to travel back 5,000 or even 6,000 years to the ancient Sumerian culture of Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia was the birthplace of writing, the wheel, agriculture, the arch, the plow, irrigation, and many other inventions, and is often referred to as the cradle of civilization. The Sumerians developed the earliest known writing system, a pictographic writing system known as cuneiform script, using wedge-shaped characters inscribed on baked clay tablets. And this means that we actually have more knowledge of ancient Sumerian and Babylonian mathematics than of early Egyptian mathematics. Sumerian mathematics was centered around a base 60 numeric system, which could be counted using the four long knuckles on one hand and then multiplying them by all five digits on the other hand. This gives you a maximum number of 12 knuckles times five fingers, which of course equals 60. Ancient Sumerians wrote about being given this information by sky gods, known as the Anunnaki. Is there any truth to this strange idea? Were the ancient Sumerians visited by otherworldly beings such as gods or extraterrestrials? Or did they make this huge leap in mathematics on their own? We may never know the answer to this question, but it is amazing that around 5,000 years ago, a mathematical system was born that is still used to this day. We'll be back right after this. 
Are you into history that's strange, weird, bizarre, creepy, and crazy? Maybe even spooky and scary with some monsters and mystery sprinkled in? Then You Totally Made That Up is the podcast for you. It's just like the name says. We tell you stories that are so unbelievable, they sound like someone must have totally made them up. Here's the thing, though. We don't focus on legends and lore. Our tales are filled with names and dates and all the facts we can find. So they're true stories, even when things try to take a supernatural paranormal turn. We've been known to bust myths on occasion, but mostly we just have a good laugh at all the things that can't and can be explained. Check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms and look for new episodes on Thursdays. We come at you bi-weekly with occasional bite-sized bonus episodes in between. You can also find us on Twitter at YTMTU Podcast and on Instagram at You Totally Made That Up. Hey guys, my name is Tara. And my name is Jessica. And together we co host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal or murder, join us every Monday as we tell our listeners about a new spooky tale or true crime case. We'll have a special drink recipe each episode picked out by me for you to enjoy while we scare the hell out of you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell else you listen to podcasts. Come hang out with us and get your spooky on. In the 6th century BC on the Greek island of Samos, famed mathematician Pythagoras created a philosophy that married philosophy, mathematics, music, and, of course, geometry. He didn't discover advanced geometry, but he did apply it in new ways, especially to music. He noticed that when a taut string was plucked, it would create a tone, and when that string was divided in half, it would make the same tone only twice as high in pitch. Pythagoras then came up with numerical ratios based on harmonic fifths, and this led to the creation of the musical scale found at the root of most modern music. It's important to note that according to Pythagoras, all musical notes were found using mathematics, and as such were given number values according to their placement in a kind of master grid. For instance, by using fifths beginning from note number one, He was eventually guided to note 27, and to find the same note twice as high in pitch, he simply kept doubling it to 54, 108, 216, 432, and so on. If you've ever heard of Pythagorean tuning, you know that the number 432 is important. Many ancient musical instruments, from Tibetan bowls to Native American flutes, happen to produce the same tone, a tone that vibrates at 432 cycles per second. Even more intriguing is the fact that Pythagoras was not calculating vibration cycles to find tone 432. It just happens to be the same number. What's more, for decades, most modern musical instruments were also tuned to this fourth octave, and a value of 432 cycles. How could this be? Who chose this particular note as the keystone for instrumental tuning, and why? To Pythagoras and his disciples, geometry and math held the key to the nature of all life everywhere. 
Let's now discuss the first four geometric shapes, the circle, triangle, square, and pentagon. In each of them are angles of degrees that, when added together, always total a specific number relative to that particular shape. For instance, if we take a triangle, the sum total of all three angles is always 180. For both the square and circle, it is 360. For the pentagon, it is 540. All of these numbers are in the same numerical neighborhood as tone 432. When broken down, they all add up to 9, just like 432. Now, what happens if you take the numbers found in basic geometric shapes, then apply those numbers as vibration cycles to hear the tones they produce? The 360 degrees in a square and circle are a perfect octave up from a triangle's 180 total degrees. What about the pentagon at 540? It is a harmonic fifth of the other two. What are these tones? They are F-sharp and its perfect harmonic fifth of C-sharp. What does a hexagon's 720 degrees sound like? Another F-sharp. A seven-sided septagon, which totals 900 degrees, is an A-sharp, which is the note required to complete an F-sharp major chord in perfect three-part harmony. The octagon at 1080 is another C-sharp. Suddenly, geometry can be expressed by tones, and these tones just happen to create a perfect three-part major chord in the key of F-sharp. This knowledge was important to Plato, who advanced two-dimensional geometry into three-dimensional. And who began to recognize that nature, whether expressed as a tone, the petal design of a flower, or the spiraling design of a seashell, seemed to follow a three-dimensional mathematical pattern. It became an obsession of Plato's to find the simplest three-dimensional geometric shapes. These came to be known as platonic solids, and as mentioned before, these forms represent the most elemental construction blocks found both in human-made and natural forms. The tetrahedron, or three-sided pyramid, is comprised of four interlocking triangles. Adding up all angles in the triangles gives you 720, which is an F-sharp. A cube is made up of six 360-degree squares, which, when added together, equals 2160, giving you a high C-sharp. An octahedron with eight triangles is 1440, and an F-sharp higher up the scale. An icosahedron's angles add up to 3600. As a tone, it is the A-sharp needed to complete an F-sharp major chord. Consider now the germ of life, seed of life, or flower of life pattern found all over the world. One circle with 360 degrees is, as we've learned, an F-sharp. We then add a second circle, bringing the total to 720. Another F-sharp. Three circles equals 1080, which provides the harmonic fifth of C-sharp. Four circles is 1440, another F-sharp. Five circles equals 1800, the A-sharp needed to provide the harmonic fifth of an F-sharp major chord. 
And finally, the sixth circle, which brings the total to 2160, another C sharp. At this point, you may be asking yourself, how is this not common knowledge? Why is this connection between geometry and music not taught in schools? Let's contemplate three possible explanations. Number one, for reasons ranging from the mundane to the conspiratorial, musical instruments are no longer tuned to an A vibrating at 432 cycles per second, but rather 440. Number two, Modern tuning calls for equal temperament, which no longer adheres to Pythagoras' whole number simplicity. Number three, the tuning method required to reveal geometric shapes is based on a mathematical grid rather than mathematical ratios. This grid, if it had a name, would probably be called something like factor nine, because the number nine is found not only in the sum of every note on the grid, but also the number required to move up or down on the scale. If we started at note A at 216 cycles, all we would have to do is add or subtract 9 to reveal all the other tones in that octave. And it is here, on this incredible factor 9 grid, that we find all of our geometric numbers. Conversely, modern A440 tuning reveals not one correlation to geometric numbers. Let's go back and look at one of these numbers, 2160, the number expressed by both the cube and the germ of life pattern. You may have already noticed that without the zero, it is one half of 432. This number keeps showing up in large scale measurements. We will need to jump forward from Plato's time to when the Mayan civilization was flourishing. Roughly 1500 years ago, Mayan stargazers were the most accomplished astronomers the world had ever known. Their concept of cyclical time led to many incredible discoveries. The accurate length of the year and the exact dates of seasonal changes. Even the dates that solar and lunar eclipses would occur. But their most amazing discovery was of something known as the precession of the equinox, which makes note of a very slow wobble of Earth's axis. Somehow aware of the fact that this wobble takes 25,920 years to complete, the Mayans called this cycle one great year, with each of its 12 great months requiring 2,160 Earth years to complete. The diameter of our moon, when measured in miles across, totals 2,160. Lastly, look what happens when we divide this number. 2160 divided by 2 is 1080, the sum of the octagon. By 3, 720, which is the hexagon. By 4, 540, the pentagon. By 5, it's the key tone of 432. And by 6, 360, the number of both the square and circles. All F sharps and C sharps with our 432A thrown into the mix. As we've stated, our closest celestial neighbor, the moon, is 2,160 miles across. And 216 is exactly half of 432. 
the mean radius of the sun is 432,450 miles, which makes its diameter about 864,938 miles. Can you guess how many seconds there are in a day? 86,400, or 43,200 seconds for the 12 hours of day and the 12 hours of night. Take the 360 degrees for the circle that is our sun and moon and multiply it by 12 hours of either day or night. 4,320. What is the only whole number that when squared comes within 0.01 accuracy to measuring the speed of light? 432. This now brings us back full circle, or 360 degrees, pun intended, to our discussion at the beginning of the episode. While Douglas Adams, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was joking when he said that 42 is the answer to the question of life, the universe, and everything, it almost makes you wonder whether there's a kernel of truth to the statement since 432 seems to be almost magical. Nikola Tesla said, If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Can mathematics and music really unlock all of life's mysteries? Are all of the patterns in 1260 base geometry just a coincidence? What do you think? Find us on Instagram at Straight Up Enigmas or Twitter at Straight Enigmas and let us know. You can also contact us through email at straightupenigmas at gmail.com or through our website, straightupenigmas.home.blog. If you like the show, please remember to hop onto Apple Music to give us a five-star rating. It really helps the podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time on Straight Up Enigmas.